Hey folks, thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get as seen by as many eyeballs as possible. You can also directly support Sex Talk as a super fan on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash sextalk with Erica Miley. And for just the cost of a cup of coffee, y'all, you should know I love my coffee. (laughs) You help Sex Talk with editing, hosting, and getting the word out to others just like you. Help to spread curiosity about sex and keep the knowledge bombs dropping to everybody that has or wants to have sex. And a big thank you to those of you who've already become super fans. You're rock stars, and I so appreciate you. That's patreon.com slash sex talk with Erica Miley. All right, let's get into the episode. Sex talk with Erica Miley. Cause sexuality is tough. And okay, sex just isn't good enough. No, sex talk with Erica Miley. Hey folks, welcome to Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Erica Miley here. I brought you an OG an original gangster who has been such a huge influence on me and one of my beloved mentors and just one of my favorite humans alive, just in general. I brought you all Ricky Siegel, wonderful uh, sex therapist, co-founder of Modern Sex Therapy Institutes. Ricky, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here and I'm glad people can't see me blushing. (laughs) Thank you so much. So full disclosure, Ricky is my clinical supervisor, and so he could talk a lot of shit about me. The thing about him is that he's such a valued individual that he won't do that more than likely. I mean, he could. Of course. Now there's no shit to talk. I don't know about all that, but, you know, (laughs) I'm really excited. Ricky and I are going to talk about sex and anxiety in 2020. And when all of you (laughs) are hearing this episode, (laughs) you are are in the the future... (laughs) And you are all already know the outcome of the election, which Ricky and I don't know as we are recording this. And so the thing that we're hearing from all of our clients is just the anxiety around the election, the anxiety of COVID, the anxiety, 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 right? Indeed. So what are you telling your folks about how to deal with anxiety in their sex lives? Don't be anxious anymore. Yeah, we're so easy, right? No, this is the year of anxiety. And I've been saying since March, all of us collectively probably meet the criteria for adjustment disorder with depression and anxious features. It's just that's the world now. And of course, I'm raising my hand. uh, They can't see us, and I'm raising my hand. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And we know as sex therapists that so many sexual problems that come into our offices stem from anxiety. Yes. So if the whole world's collective anxiety level has been amped up to 20, mm-hmm. then of course that's going to affect, uh, it affects sex in, in relationships. And it certainly has a profound effect on dating possibilities for people who aren't partnered and want to be. Yeah, that isolation that mm-hmm. we have been dealing with as a result of COVID. And now at this point in 2020, we're at the latter part of 2020. People are dealing with now some of the COVID fatigue, news fatigue, mm-hmm. and they don't want any of it. And they're also telling me they're, also, they're having a hard time trying to find any arousal. Right. Well, when anxiety takes over in the bedroom, it's not uncommon to see people start avoiding. 
just shutting down. Desire disappears. Yeah, it's all about the arousal, of course, we know, but how do you motivate people to see just that far ahead that if you can get into a little arousal, a little kissing and touching and caressing, then Mm -hmm. that might spark some desire and a little loving, a little uh, sexy time might alleviate that anxiety, even if it's just for a few hours, right? You know this, we've long talked about the therapeutic value of a good socks rolling down orgasm for anxiety and depression and pain and sleep and, you know, across the board, instead of people swallowing eight pills every night, they should just have more orgasms. I love that. Less medication, more orgasm. Yeah. (laughs) Doesn't mean medication is not needed. But it is kind of medication, right? It is, in a sense, utilizing the pharmacy we already have in our heads. I used to, when I worked in uh, drug and alcohol treatment, this didn't go over too well. To talk about Mm -hmm. the idea of teaching people how to get high without drugs and alcohol. But I believe Mm -hmm. that's what I did. You know, I used to do biofeedback and encourage people to use that uh, brain chemistry. Even people who don't uh, struggle with substance abuse or addiction, they tell them you have to, if you feel so nervous and insecure that you have to smoke a joint before you have sex to you're kind of cushioning yourself off a little bit why don't you just enjoy mm. sex for the high that it is and then smoke the joint after since after is usually the more intimidating intimacy anyway right but appreciate the orgasm for the high that it is again not maybe not the best thing to talk about to a bunch of uh, newly sober drug addicts but if you break it down pharmacologically, neuropharmacologically, it is basically what junkies are after when they shoot a speedball. Same thing for mixing cocaine and heroin in the same shot is the endorphin, adrenaline, dopamine rush of mm-hmm. a good orgasm. So we're already equipped. Why not use that pharmacy to squeeze some pleasure out of life instead of this artificial that we've all convinced ourselves that drugs do for us? and we can't feel good without putting some drugs in our mouth. Can't enjoy sex without swallowing something, either to slow mm-hmm. us down or speed us up or make us feel less, make us feel more. We are sensate beings. We are wired to feel and feed our brain with stimuli from all kinds of nerves, from what we see, mm-hmm. what we smell, what we taste, and what we touch. Mm-hmm. I think we're... You're talking about something that as a culture in the United States, I think, you know, across the world, especially with technology the way that it is, I call my cell phone a brain slug. Mm. (laughs) It is, we are very disconnected from our physiological state. We are very disconnected from what does it mean to be in our body through feelings or any other sensation. Mm. And so what would it mean if you were using two very basic things that we these bodies can do, which is like exercise and orgasm are incredibly powerful tools against any kind of mental or sexual health issue. And it's incredible to me how disconnected we as a society are from them. Those mm-hmm. chemicals are made for us by us. And Absolutely. when you're looking for medication or any kind of substance, those chemicals are not made for you by you, and your body has a harder time with them. Well, as I used to say in my drug ed class, no drug that we could take from the outside can do anything unless there's already some pathway for it to follow. Right. Mm. So all these, quote, exogenous drugs are just 
either amplifying or exaggerating the effect of neurotransmitters already happening. So some work on mm-hmm. serotonin pathways, some work, you know, stimulants work on adrenaline pathways, psychedelics work on serotonin pathways, but mm-hmm. we have that, you know, I don't want to go too far afield, but just compare Timothy Leary and Ram Das, his former research partner, when they got fired together from Harvard for using graduate students as guinea pigs in mushroom studies, right? But mm-hmm. Leary, Leary for his whole life never stopped advocating for taking psychedelics. Yeah. Uh, Ram Das, well, he was still Richard Alpert before he became Ram Das, said, if mm-hmm. these are, you know, like Jim Morrison and Aldous Huxley and all that, if these are the keys to open those doors, who's to say the door slams shut and locks once you've opened it? If you, if you open yeah. it once, that door is open anytime you want to go through it again. You don't need the key anymore. And I think that mm. was the big divergence and the big movement of, I think it's led to what we refer to now as mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Right? Being present, being embodied, and what important things when we're talking about sex. People should not be in their heads freaking out about what their body is or isn't doing because it's sober, right? Sex is a high like any other. And if you're thinking about you know, what's in the fridge, you're doing something wrong. Or if you're in a near panic, because you're worried about what your ass looks like or what your penis is doing, then you're not enjoying yourself at all. Then it's work and people avoid work. Yeah, you're not, not with your body, right? Like right. you're not with the, your partner if you have a partner or if you're on your own, you're not with yourself. Even You're, right. you're not paying attention to what's happening even with your body at all. Yeah. Did you ever see the Pixar movie WALL-E? Mm-hmm. Oh, my daughter's, it was my daughter's favorite and she used to make the noise he made all of the time <laughs> but i mean on the big cruise ships right when the humans are all oh, just yes. big blobs of jelly with big thumbs for the remote controls and big brains and just not much else just kind of floating around on these floating chaise chairs mm-hmm. <laughs> so i think a little prophetic if we don't change our ways a little <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We might already be there in, yeah. in a few ways. I mean, we could, you know, we could be here all day talking about just the philosophical underpinnings of Wally. Right. But, <laughs> but, you know, I also, I saw that Netflix documentary, Social Dilemma, and oh, our, yeah. our relationship with this technology. It's great that we can, like we were saying before, we can communicate this way better than nothing during the, the pandemic. But this insane yes. dependence we all have on living in this online world also contributes to a tremendous amount of anxiety. Absolutely. The way that we connect with technology isn't how humans have connected for a millennia. And so at this point in our evolution, we're not, we're missing something. Yeah, we ain't equipped. We're not ready for it. It's too much too soon. And so we have to, as humans, look at, okay, how do I break down what I specifically as the individual need in my life? And a lot of times, more orgasms and exercise are, are a good place to begin. <laughs> the best ways I could think of to change it, to literally change your brain chemistry in a moment. We all have, we all come equipped with uh, how to do it. And again, even without a partner, we can still change our brain chemistry and feel better. Yeah. So I venture to say, I, this is something I talk to my clients about a lot, especially with the anxiety of what will happen with the election or what will happen with COVID. And by the point that everybody's hearing this, we'll know some of those things, some, not all, but how do we start to 
repair some of the, I think we're going through a global trauma. Mm-hmm. Indeed. We're going through some big, some big collective shit. Indeed. So, so how do you think we start healing? Well, here's a hope, right? The people have talked about like the slow motion tsunami and, and this really, really long, slow, chronic craziness compared to like a quick, easy, like a good old fashioned tornado. And everybody's always, mm-hmm. you see it on the news all the time. Every time a town gets ripped apart by a tornado, everybody bands together. Everybody gets together for the recovery and politics goes out the window and Democrats are helping mm-hmm. Republicans and nobody cares about whose lawn sign they had because it flew away in the damn tornado. So I hope that after this pandemic and after the political situation gets a little closer to sanity, I hope and hoping, mm-hmm. uh, fingers crossed, then I hope the same kind of thing will happen, that we'll all band together and go, damn, what the hell was that? I'm glad it's over. Let's help each other up and clean up the mess and we'll help our neighbors clean up their mess and they'll help us clean up ours and we'll just try and find whatever the new normal is right i hope we don't turn into a a bunch of people who are just afraid of each other and and hating each other because of political leanings and we just have like like what we've seen for the past couple years is worse than ever two americas both avoiding each other like the plague i i do keep wondering like when when we will all start paying attention to especially here in the US the reasons why we're so divided because we are like you said we're built for short term emergencies we are actually built fairly well mm-hmm. to be able to handle the hurricane we're built fairly well to handle the tornado we're built fairly well to I'm from California we had to rebuild from wildfires mm. doesn't mean any of those things are easy to deal with but we are our psychology is essentially primed to be able to deal with those kinds of things because they have a beginning a middle and an end right what we're encountering right now is something that we haven't and it is ongoing and chronic and you know it's the same mechanism to talk about our our natural chemistry the same mechanism with anxiety is obviously closely related to stress and that fight or flight Mm -hmm. response. We're so used to thinking of stress as the worst because it is. Stress kills us in dozens of different ways. But that also, that very thing, just to underscore your point, that ensured our survival as a species. Without that burst of adrenaline, fight or flight, we would have all been tiger food a long time ago. But the paper tigers, right, in the modern world, We start in fight or flight when the alarm clock goes off in the morning and we stay in it all day long, Mm. most Americans, until they pass out in front of the TV at night. And then we see the effects of chronic stress of never being able to turn it off. Shit starts breaking down. Every organ system Mm. starts breaking down in response to the elevated cortisol levels and all of the damage of just, I I remember those... uh, Castrol motor oil commercials where they just show the tachometer sort of revving these small Japanese engines Mm -hmm. too high, too hard with the wrong oil, and the engine just craps out dead. Mm -hmm. Kind of the same effect on us. Yes. I mean, there's a reason we have diagnoses like acute stress disorder. Right. And chronic stress, too. Right. Exactly. It's not super great for our erectile tissue, which we all have, by the way. Penis owners are not the only ones with it, as Ricky uh, has so wonderfully taught me. We all got it. And so 
the role of anxiety on erectile tissue. Can we talk a little bit about that? Sure. Well, again, being in fight or flight means constricting blood flow to where it's not needed, right? If we're going to beat down a tiger Mm -hmm. or outrun it, we have to maximize strength. So that Mm -hmm. comes from the upper body and the upper arms and upper legs. So all the extremities, including the genitals, get less blood. Yeah, we're not pooping. Yeah, right. (laughs) If you run from a tiger, you're not going to say, oh, I have to stop and poop or get floppy (laughs) erection bouncing around in the way. No, everything is shutting down. You're going to stop for a snack in the middle of running for your Mm -hmm. life. But if that becomes chronic, then tissue is not nourished as it should, right? Every cell in our body needs oxygen, and especially Mm -hmm. uh, tissues that are, as you described, erectile in penises and clitorises and nipples. They have to be filled on a regular basis to make sure all of those tissues are plenty well-fed with oxygen, which is why most guys think of the mystery known as morning wood as some kind of pressure switch when you have a full bladder, it, it, it causes an erection. No, we wake up with erections because testosterone peaks in the morning, right? But of course, everybody has to pee when we wake up because our kidneys are working and filtering our blood and filling our bladder with urine. Sometimes that's what wakes us up. And guys know from mm-hmm. having to switch tracks, so to speak, standing in front of the toilet feeling like they have to pee and their penis thinks it's sexy time. So the brain has to send down an override. No. It's not sexy time now. It's pee time and the gates kind of have to switch and the urine flow can start and typically the erection goes down, right? But just like with sexual response, everybody gets the, that the end part, the orgasm part is all about that. That's the good side of the fight or flight of the adrenaline side, right? Because the blood pressure's up, the heart's pumping, all those chemicals are flowing and we feel wonderful. But what we don't get, most people don't get, is that the front half, the arousal part of sex, is a relaxation thing. That's parasympathetic. Mm -hmm. That's the side that turns off the fight or flight so that blood flow can open up Mm -hmm. and flow to those extremities and fill all of those tissues. And then we can switch Mm -hmm. to the excitement part. So you know this from studying with me as long as you have and doing supervision that I'm always pushing the idea of couples learning how to relax into arousal together. And all of the, no matter what the problem, all the assignments I give, all the dates, all the structured things, always include this instruction of relaxing into arousal. Because when people go, oh my God, we're going to have sex. Mm. Oh, what if my dick don't work? You blew it. You're already there. You're already shooting adrenaline and worrying. And like I tell my college guys, the surest way to lose an erection is to worry about losing your erection. This anxiety produces adrenaline. Adrenaline is speed, and speed is the boner killer, like we were just saying. Hmm. I am often telling my folks right now, especially right now, to give yourself the best opportunity for any of the sexual actions, touch, feelings, intimacy feelings, closeness feelings. Give yourself the best shot for it. So when could that possibly be? Not when the kids are home. So that's really tough right now for so many people who have children. True. (laughs) Children are always... I've been suggesting a lot lately that, you know, can you like go uh, sneak into... If they have sit in the backseat of the car in the garage and uh, sneak Mm -hmm. out like high school kids and go make out or something like that. 
tell the kids you're working on something in the basement or in the attic and <laughs> steal away. Yeah. You know, even if you can get a little naughtiness, a little transgression, ooh, we're hiding from the kids, can add to that excitement. See, that's a funny thing, these words, excitement and arousal. Yeah, people have to consider them both in the English context and the like neurophysiological context. Because in English, arousal sounds good. You think of sexual arousal or appetite arousal or something, right? But to the central nervous system, arousal is arousal, whether we're having a good time or being terrified out of our wits. And sometimes exactly. your body doesn't know the difference, especially when it comes Absolutely. to the right. Yeah. We just don't, our bodies and our brains are not as evolved as we'd like them to be. I'm <laughs> yeah. saying that to my guys all the time. I mean, yeah. like, like you so. just. That idea that you can compartmentalize or the idea that your brain is not going to read if you touch the stove and it's hot, that it's not always going to assume that it's hot, that we're just not that evolved yet, if we ever will be. <laughs> yeah. And so that relaxing into arousal, I think, is going to be key, especially in the coming years after we're, whatever done is going to look like with COVID or whatever done is mm-hmm. like after all of this, we are going to have to learn to relax again and i think it's not just like calm down right like how you say that in a really awful and condescending way calm down no not like that at all right (laughs) much more compassionate we have to we're gonna have to embrace radical compassion you were gonna say something about like potentially another baby boom that would be nice you know after world war ii of course it was another time of of real unknowns and craziness and peak anxiety for several years Mm -hmm. and war ended and everybody was happy. And of course, that famous picture of the sailor and the woman in Times Square, we would probably call sexual Mm -hmm. assault today. But, uh, you know, because they didn't know each other. Yeah, (laughs) just grabbed some woman on the street, apparently. But yeah, it'd be nice to think that people really turn to each other and to kindness. And I like that phrase, radical compassion. We need more of it. Yeah, I think it's it dialectical behavioral therapy, they talk about, you know, radical acceptance. And I think that's a huge piece of what we have to do now, right? When we're in the middle of it, accepting Mm -hmm. this is happening right now. And then the follow-up after us gazelles get away from the tiger, (laughs) we have to do some shaking to get that adrenaline off. Right. And we're also to give ourselves and our partners and everyone around us radical compassion. There's that. That's a good wish for 2021. Yes. Rado- Come on, folks. Yes. Come on. That hopefully all the signs will be down. Yeah. We're sending our hopes into the future. <laughs> indeed. Indeed, we are. So, as far as what's happening with you and how do people find you in the world? I know, of course, I am a student of the Modern Sex Therapy Institutes. Yes. A dream come what's true. What's going on? It's just, I I still, I I can't believe it. I can't believe how lucky I am. I've been blessed with having incredible women in my life, from my mom to uh, my dear departed supervisor and mentor and former partner in the old Florida Institute, uh, the late Susan Lee, Mm. who was trained by Helen Singer Kaplan, where all that kind of started in New York in the 80s after Masters and Johnson's work. And Mm -hmm. I have a brilliant, wonderful partner in a group practice, although we don't have office space anymore, of course, during COVID. And um, Mm. I've been so blessed to be partnering with the brilliant Dr. Rachel Needle 
And we joined mm-hmm. our institutes together and made Modern Sex Therapy Institutes. And ever since, it's been a dream come true. You, of course, being part of our, a big part of that dream, being part of our first cohort in our new PhD mm-hmm. program. And it's just been such a delight. You're one of those students, you know, we have students that are not even used to talking about sex and are kind of new therapists. And every once in a while, we get one that almost seems like this is a, a formality. Just jump through the You're already a sexologist. I already consider you a peer. We just got to go through the hoops and get the papers signed, right? I was thinking about this uh, in anticipation of our meeting today. You're only the third student I could think of that we've ever been moved to ask to teach for us while still being a student because of having an area of expertise. One was a, um, a gynecologist and the other uh, was an expert in forensic uh, evaluation who'd been working with sex offenders for 30 years before she decided to become a sex therapist. And when you talked about incorporating some of the sexual medicine and sex therapy concepts, I knew it was going to be a valuable contribution to our students' learning. And yeah, that's a whole other area that we will hope the future will uh, continue to open up for acceptance. Even medicine can't ignore the fact that sex is a quality of life issue for people and uh, Mm -hmm. they have to talk, they have to ask. It's still, this this hasn't changed in like 30 years. Uh, It still comes out that fear of embarrassing the provider is the number one reason Mm -hmm. people say for not asking. And I, don't you just want to grab someone by the shoulders and say, it's not your job to worry about their comfort. It's their job to protect yours. You're the patient. You're the consumer. And any other area, we would be jumping up and down, bitching about lousy service, except when we're in those paper robes Mm -hmm. with our feet not reaching the floor because we feel nine. And the doctor is this pedestal, right? And we dare not question or bring up something that might embarrass them. I'm blushing. From all yes. of the, the wonderful things you said about me, which I so appreciate. But you're absolutely right. It's something that I hear from, I would venture to say, 100% of my clients. There is at some point that their doctor is not listening to them mm-hmm. or they're feeling nervous about bringing it up at all or don't feel like they have the time. Now, this being said, like I have met some wonderful MDs who uh, who absolutely listen to the show. And I know you have some MDs that listen to your mm-hmm. show that do give a shit and try to take their time with their people. But also like we're in, we're stuck as far as providers go, especially if you experience, if you take any kind of insurance, you get 15 minutes with your people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the helper, what are they going to do in 15 minutes? What are they going to do? Yeah, certainly not give us a whole lot of agency to take part in our own care or treatment planning, right? We're just the next body they got to work on and move on to the next one. But so you asked where people can find me. I'm sorry, I forgot. We get funny trail. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ModernSexTherapyInstitutes.com is probably the most direct way. And people can reach out and ask questions and get me through the uh, website. Or, of course, as you know, you were a guest with my brother and I on similarly Mm -hmm. named Sex Talk with the Siegel Brothers, which we used to do. When you were on, we were still on radio and had to deal with the FCC and sensors and anything remotely related to body functions. We had to worry about getting bleeped or dropped. So we left the radio and now we're doing our own thing on YouTube. It's great. And everything will be in the show notes, folks, so that you can and do not miss 
Sex Talk with the Seagull Brothers. You will learn so much from Ricky and Larry. I am a huge fan. And I remember when we met for the first time and we became friends on Facebook and I started to see all of your lives. And I was like, shit, how did I miss that? I would have almost (laughs) the exact same show name. I love it. But I do too. I do too. No surprise that you're a wonderful mentor. Thank you. And I appreciate you in my life Uh, so much. It's a mutual admiration society. I love what you're doing. I love your ability to do this, to to have this audience and and get these conversations out to uh, people who need to hear it, right? Absolutely. Okay, folks, if you are after any kind of sex therapy training, CEUs, head to Modern Sex Therapy. I am such a big fan myself. I didn't just pick this program on a whim. The experts that are part of this, of not only just the PhD program, but the sex therapy certification program, the LGBTQ plus concerns that Joe Court manages, like Mm. just the, all of the things that, that all of you are offering. And I have been lucky enough to be part of that. All of the information you could ever want related to sex, especially if you're a helper out there, if you're a sex educator, if you are even thinking about becoming a sex therapist, go here first. And you might have Ricky as a supervisor. Thank you. Thank you, my dear. means a great deal. All right, folks. Thank you for sticking around to the end and we'll see you next time.